The following audio is from Midtown Fellowship in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in becoming a part of our extended family, visit midtowncolumbia.com slash partner. Excited uh, that you that you are here worshiping with us this morning as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior uh, Jesus Christ. And we also have uh, uh, children in the room with us. We got a family worship day. Can we make noise for the kids as well who are here? Amen. For the for the young people, for the young people uh, in the place. Parents, just let you know we expect kids to make a little extra noise, be wiggling around and stuff. We're not too uh, worried about that. We want them to be able to celebrate uh, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus right here with us. Uh, this morning. We're going to keep the, the celebration uh, going today. If you can go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, in your Bibles, if you want to be able to follow along uh, with us. When we get there, we're going to be in, in starting at verse 14. Again, when we get there, we're going to be starting at verse 14 uh, here this morning. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We know he came uh, to earth. He abandoned the riches of heaven. He stepped down into the mess, into the sinful world uh, that mankind had corrupted in so many ways. He suffered in our place. He, he died in our place on the cross, taking the penalty and the, and the judgment that we deserved, but he didn't stay in the grave. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave, or he was raised from the grave, and that is what we are here to celebrate today, that the stone was rolled away, that when the women were there at the tomb, that the, the angel said, why do you look for the living among the dead? Because the one that they were looking for was alive with all power in his hand. If I'm, if I'm honest, sometimes I think we sleep on the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think sometimes we see the cross as like the, as like the main thing, like his death is like the main thing, but see, uh, the kind of the resurrection is kind of like a, a side joint. We kind of see it as a, am I, am I not on good? Am I good? A little bit? Cool. Good. Thank you. Uh, so we, I think sometimes we see the, see the resurrection as kind of like an add-on. It's kind of like a, an additional piece uh, kind of to the puzzle, if you would. But the Bible doesn't see it that way. The Bible sees the resurrection of Jesus as a vital part of our day-to-day experience as Christians. That it is a vital part of our faith. That, that, that the gospel and everything that we believe is, is not actually true and realized if the resurrection does not actually occur. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul is, is kind of driving this point home. We'll start it at verse 14. Uh, I won't read it as good as Delisha did. 1 Corinthians 15, we'll start at verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Paul says, if not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ and everything we do in this Christian activity, the, the, the preaching and ministering of the gospel, and our very faith is in vain, it's useless, he says. Jump down to verse 17. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. That word futile means serving no useful purpose. It, something that is futile is, is not useful or helpful in any way to anyone. So just so we're clear, what, he, what he's saying is that if Jesus would have came, would have, would have lived the life he lived, right, if he would have done all the miraculous healings that he did, if he would have done all the, the prophecies and spoken on behalf of God and all these, these powerful, powerful teachings with so much authority, if he would have died on the cross but have not been raised from the dead, Paul is saying, your faith is useless, if that were to be the case, and you would be still in your sins. See, Paul doesn't see the resurrection of Jesus as just like an add-on. It's just like something that is secondary to the gospel of Jesus. But he says it is necessary. It is essential to what we believe. Why, why would Paul say that? To understand that, we need to understand what actually Jesus came to do and what he actually came to save us from. 
See, way back in, in, in the book of Genesis, at the very beginning of the book, God created the earth. He created the, the ocean, the sea, he created the animals, and then he creates mankind, right, as, as, as the kind of the pinnacle of his creation. And then he gives them dominion over the earth. He tells them, he has Adam is the one who names the animals, right? We see man having this authority over the earth. You, you see also Adam is the one who, who was called to cultivate and keep the garden. So he's actually able to work in the earth to produce good, and he's given dominion over the world, over the earth. If you're familiar with the story, you know what happened. They turned away from God. They decided they wanted to live independently of God. Even though he had shown his love to them, he had provided for them, they decided that they wanted to live in a way that's independent of his rules and of his authority. And then God starts letting them know that now they're going to live, mankind is now going to live under what we call the curse of sin. That you, you see the curse uh, working itself out in the relationship that Adam has with Eve, where before them, you don't see any hint of any type of problems, any type of relational problem between Adam and Eve. But after this sin, you see this blame shifting that happens. You see Adam now blaming Eve for his faults, for his mistakes. You see God telling them that now the work that Adam did in the garden is going to be painful now. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be thorns and thistles because now even the earth is cursed because of this sin. We know that God told them the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that you will surely die. There is this suffering that has now come into the world, this curse of sin or this curse from sin that plagues all of us after they ate the fruit. So as a result, now we have suffering, we have pain, we have sadness, we have depression and anxiety, we have oppression in our world, in our world we have murder, we have genocide, we have terrorism and war, we have loneliness and hopelessness. We have mourning as we mourn and grieve the death of our loved ones. We have physical diseases as well. We have cancer. We have heart disease. We have diabetes. We have this feeling in our bones that things are just not as they should be. That things are not the way that they were intended to be. So we try to escape to find some type of relief from this curse of sin. We, we try to do whatever we can to kind of get out from under this cloud, this plague that all of us are affected by. So we all run to different things for, for escape. Whenever the, the life is at its most difficult, we run to friends or we run to food or we run to maybe alcohol and drugs. We, we run to uh, this, this suppression of our sadness and of our grief and maybe of our anger. Maybe we just live in denial of the sadness that we feel, but this curse of sin on the world, it plagues all of us. It's, it's this thick cloud that causes so much hopelessness, so much pain, and what we're longing for it's freedom from this curse. What we're longing for is the ability to be able to rise above this curse that has been placed on the earth as the result of sin, to rise above the darkness and brokenness of this world. We crave this freedom in our bones. We desire it. One of the worst effects of the curse of sin is death itself. The very first thing that God said will come as a result if they did choose to sin and turn away from him. It's one of the most horrible effects of sin that causes such deep grieving, such deep pain. It's this thing that all of us know in, in this life at some point it, it is ahead of us. It feels like this un, inescapable cloud that is over us, that is chasing us down. But when Jesus got up from the grave, he triumphed over death itself, showing us that he and he alone is able to also give us victory over death and the curse of sin the resurrection proves that he's victorious over the curse. The resurrection proves that what he came to do, he's actually able to do it. He's actually able to free us from the curse of sin and give us the relief that we all desire to have. 
The resurrection proves his victory. The resurrection is Jesus showing to, him, to, the, to the world that if you want victory over sin, if you want victory over death, if you want victory over physical sickness, if you want victory over mental sickness, then you follow me and I will give my victory to you and you will conquer with me, is what the resurrection is saying. Let's go back to what Paul says here in, in chapter 15 when he says, if Christ is not resurrected, then our faith is in vain. You have to understand that the primary problem that all of us have, that everyone who's ever walked this earth has had, is the curse of sin itself. Check out what Paul says in verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are, all, we are of all excuse me, people most to be pitied. He's saying, listen. If, if in Christ, and Paul is somebody who has suffered for the sake of the gospel, suffered tremendous pains just for the sake of the gospel, not, not to mention the suffering that all of us endure over and over and over every day of our lives. Paul is saying, hey, listen, if we worship this God, if we sacrifice for this God, and the only hope that we have is in this life, then people should feel more sorry for us than any other people on the planet, is what Paul says. That people should feel sorry for us. If all that we have to look forward to is this life, if all that, that Jesus offers us is this life in this broken world with sin and suffering and grief, if that's all we have to look forward to, then Paul says we should be pitied above everybody else. That, that, that people should feel sorry for us if that is all that we have. If we don't have something better waiting for us than what we have in this life, then we should be pitied. But the good news the good news for every man, woman, boy, and girl is that Jesus did not stay in the grave. The good news for every man, woman, boy, and girl is that he defeated suffering. He, de he defeated grief. He defeated physical sickness, mental sickness, loneliness, hopelessness, oppression, every sin that ails us. He is victorious over that. And if we are in him, as we'll get to a little later, we will reign with him. He holds the keys to freedom. And he's setting the captives free from this curse of sin. That has been on us since our first ancestors. Towards the end of this chapter, Paul describes this freedom that we have in the next life. You see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 and 55. It says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality. This is referring to when the bodies that we have now that break down, the bodies that at some point will fail us. When those things are done away with and we have our immortal bodies like the resurrected body of Jesus. Look at what he says is going to happen. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? That, that, that the victory and, and the ailings that, that death has had over us, that this grief that we have all felt because of death, it'll be but a distant memory in the past. It'll just be something that, that, we, that we maybe faintly remember in the past. It'll be something that we never see again, something that never harms us again, something that is never able to touch us again because our God, our King, is victorious over death itself. And this is the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that death has lost its hold. That the thing that, that, that all of us, we, we may fear in this life, that we're able to know that death is just the doorway to something greater for the believer. For the believer in Christ, that death itself, God uses it as a tool to actually take us to paradise. That the, that the believer does not have reason to fear death, no, but, but death gets us to where we're trying to go. He has conquered over death. He has conquered over the grave. We'll keep it going. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. 
This is what the prophet Isaiah says will come true of us in that day. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. He's saying those who, with faith in Christ, have been unable to see because their eyes did not work. When they get to glory, they will be able to see that their eyes will work, that this ailment that, that has harmed them for so many years, maybe even decades at a time, will no longer be a factor in their lives. He said, in the ears of the deaf unstopped, that though many in the faith now may not be able to hear, but at some point in one day we will be able to hear. Verse 6, he says, then shall the lame man leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute sing for joy. He says those who are mute, those who are, who are not able to speak, they won't just talk. He says they're going to sing for joy. That those who maybe for all their lives didn't know what it was to talk, didn't know what it was to sing, will sing for joy in his kingdom when Christ comes back. And this might be my favorite part of the verse. It says, then shall the lame man leap like a deer. I was preaching about the kingdom of God at another church and how God's going to make everything right when Christ returns for his people. And this lady came up to me afterwards. She was just a sweet older lady with a, with a cane in her hand. And she looked at me and she said, brother, I can't wait to put this cane down. She says, I can't wait to get there and put this cane down. And I looked at her and I said, I said, sister, I, I, I'm going to walk with you. I can't wait to walk with you. She said, brother, I'm not going to walk. She says, I'm going to leap and I'm going to dance in the presence of God. She says, I, I ain't thinking about walking. I'm going to dance with joy before my king when I see his face. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 19 and 20 reads like this. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard into the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. He says even the sound of weeping, the sound of people crying, tears of sadness will be removed. There will be a sound that we never hear again. Verse 20, no more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. He says death will no longer come to the infant or to the elderly. Or everyone in between, death will never occur with his people again. Verse 25, chapter 25, verse 8 says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from their faces. Then in his love, in his grace, in his compassion for all those who have cried so many tears, who have, who have maybe cried ourselves to sleep, who have weeped over and over and over again and wonder, God, will the grief ever go away? God, will the grief ever stop? He says to us in Isaiah chapter 25, yes, it will end. Yes, it will end. Yes, one day you will cry your last tear of sadness and you will experience unending, uninhibited, overwhelming joy in the presence of God forever. This is what the resurrection proves to us that is ahead of us as his people. In Revelation chapter 22, starting at verse 3, it says, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. I love that part at the beginning of verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed. He says, you know what you won't find in heaven? The curse of sin, the curse that has caused us so much pain, the curse that, is, that has ailed us in so many different ways. You, you won't find it anymore. It will, it will not be there. Then it goes on to tell us what we will find in heaven. He says, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. He says, you won't find the curse, but you will find a throne because there will be a victorious king who has defeated death and sin for his people. And it says his servants will worship him that we will see his goodness and we will spend the rest of eternity enjoying worship of a holy God. Verse 4 says, they will see his face 
and we will finally see his face. The faith of the one who came for us. The face of the one who died for us in our place, who took our punishment for us. We will see his face finally. Our our faith will meet sight. What, What we now believe in that we have not seen will be the thing that we worship, the God that we worship, that we are able to see with our eyes. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light. They will need no. Sorry. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light. said his glory will so radiate. His, his, his goodness and his brightness will so shine in our presence that we won't need the sun, that we won't need the light from a lamp, that there, there will be no night. It will be this eternal day where God is our light, the one we worship, the one we adore, the one that we love. And here's my favorite part of that verse. And they will reign forever and ever. This is the restoration of what was what it, the way it was back in Genesis chapter 1 before sin came into the lives of God's people where they ruled over creation. He says we will reign forever and ever. Here's what that means. That sickness will no longer reign over us. That death will no longer reign over us. That mental illness will no longer reign over us. That sin will no longer reign over us. That pain will no longer reign over us. But the people of God will know victory in him and we will reign forever and ever with our God. That depression will no longer reign over us. Insecurity will no longer reign. Shame will no longer reign over us. That grief will no longer reign over the people of God. But we will reign in Christ forever and ever. So here's what that means for us. As he has delivered us from our hopelessness. If we have more hope than any people that have ever lived. Here's what that means for us. And here's what I want to encourage us with today. Don't you ever put your faith and worship into something that did not defeat death. Let me say that again. Don't you ever put your faith and your hope and your life and your worship into something that did not defeat death. Why would you ever worship something? Why would you ever worship something that has the same problem that you have? Why would you ever worship something that cannot defeat your biggest enemy? There's a lot of people that's trying to attack Christianity today. There's a lot of people that are trying to say that Christ is not who we should follow, not who we should worship. Let me tell you something. They are trying to lead you to worship anyone, anything, any person that did not defeat death itself. It is a waste of your time. It is futile. It is in vain. You will find no victory, and you will still have the same problem that you have in this earth, and that is the curse of sin. But the one that you worship is the one that got up out of the grave. The one that you worship, the one that you give your life to, the one that you sacrifice the rest of your life for is the one that has a greater life and a greater reward waiting for you at the end of your journey in that great day where we'll be worshiped with him forever. Don't you ever put your faith in anything that didn't defeat the curse of sin. Don't you ever give your life to anything that did not defeat the curse of sin for you. Don't you ever give your life to anything that you can't find ultimate and eternal victory in. It will be a waste of your time. It will be in vain and it will be futile. But as the angel said, our God is not dead. He's alive. So we put our faith in the victorious one. We put our faith in the one that tasted death and spit it back out, if you will. We put our faith in the one that died but still lives. And because of that, we have hope. We have proof. We have sound proof that he is our Savior, that he can deliver on every promise that he has ever made. And so it is him that we worship. And so it is him that we praise. It is him that we sing to. 
We're going to continue singing. I'm just going to invite the praise team back up. We might shout a little bit. We might sing a little bit. This king that we worship is our God. He is victorious. We find our victory in him. He has proven himself to be our king that we can put our trust in. If you can stand to your feet, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to continue worshiping our God. God, you have given us victory in you. You have given us victory in you. Lord, we have so many things that ail us, so many things that that might cause us to feel hopeless. Lord, would you keep it close to our minds and deep in our hearts, Lord, that we have victory in you, that anything that ails us is but temporary, Lord, and that you will, you promise you're going to take it away. You have proven to us that you are more powerful than sin and death itself. So it is you we put our hope in. So it is you we put our faith in. It is you we follow. It is you we sacrifice for, Lord. It is you that we trust in knowing that victory belongs to you. That victory belongs to Jesus, our great king. God, you are good. God, you are all powerful. You have, you rose with all authority in your hand and we worship you for today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to sing about the victory that we have in Jesus today.